Our text today is in the book of Mark, chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 20. I'll be reading from the New International Version this morning. Um, In these last weeks, we've been thinking about Jesus. Last week, uh, we thought about him on the pathway to the cross, and we uh, read that passage of Mark that talked about his trial. And uh, we remember in that trial how things unfolded, how Jesus basically... uh, was silent. He, uh, he uh, followed the plan of God, and that plan was eventually that he would be at the cross, on the cross. We saw what a sham the trial was. There really was not the accusations that they could bring against Jesus, but uh, they still uh, gave a, ver- a, a verdict that he should be put to death there to Sanhedrin among the, the priests and the teachers and other leaders of Israel. And so, even we found that uh, his loneliness in that place, outside the very window, there was Peter, his, one of his best friends, one of his chief disciples, out there warming himself by the fire. And even Peter uh, betrayed him or denied him and said, I do not even know this man. When he was questioned if he was a disciple, he was afraid. And so Jesus was all by himself. And so look at this passage here. This is a time before, when he come, comes before Pilate, who is the governor, the Roman governor of all the land, who has the real authority in his hands to put Jesus to death. And so in verse 1, chapter 15, uh, 15 very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached that decision. They bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? And Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom of the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did, and that was to release release one of the convicts on this Passover season. Verse 9, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. So you see this, in some ways, is, could have been a simple story of many who faced that kind of death in that time. The Roman form of execution was horrible. It, it was widespread. It was used by the Romans to keep people in control. You could see this as a man who's laid down his life, maybe for a cause. There would certainly be those who did that in that day as well. 
But if you read the, the accounts of the gospel, you'll detect that there's more behind the life of, and death of Jesus than just what seems to be on the surface. And, though his, and through this death on the cross, God is at work doing something mysterious but powerful that affects everybody who lives. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul said it this way, We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so, Jesus now is becoming, coming before Pilate. Pilate's the governor. He's the, he's the greatest power in the land at that time. Caesar, of course, is in Rome, but he's Caesar's man down there in, in that area. Pilate has never seen Jesus. He's certainly heard of Jesus going through the streets of Jerusalem and throughout Judea. He knows who Jesus is, but he does, he's never seen him. You know, there's something about seeing somebody. You may have heard about them. You may have thought about them on occasions. But there's something about seeing somebody. There's something about looking somebody in the eyes. Face to face. And so Pilate is face to face with Jesus. You know, I, I really prefer face-to-face communication to any other kind of communication by far, by far. Um, I believe, particularly when you're talking about some kind of deep conversation, something you really need to discuss or want to discuss or express to somebody, there's something about face-to-face that makes a whole lot of difference. Even telephone conversations lack something. I've had, and I, I talk some on the telephone, and I do, I've talked about some important things on the telephone. But what's missing in a telephone conversation is the eyes. You cannot see the body language of the person you're talking to, and you cannot see their eyes. You really don't know exactly how they're receiving what you're saying, and you can't tell exactly what they're saying. You hear what they're saying, but you don't know what they mean. And the eyes tell a lot of that. There, there's, there's no body language in that kind of thing. I don't even particularly care to talk to somebody. Say, <laughs> so, well, preacher, you sure are picky. You know, who, who, uh, who's in a, in, a, I mean, in a meaningful conversation. Now, if it's just talking about the weather, it's all different, you know. But somebody with sunglasses on. And, you know, some of us are so attached to our sunglasses, we never come out from behind them. We do in church, apparently. And I know some of us have sensitive eyes, and I know that doctors say you should wear sunglasses for your own protection of, you know, from the rays of the deadly gamma rays that come from the sun. It's not gamma rays, it's some other kind of ray. But, you know, when I'm talking to somebody and I can't see their eyes, I don't really know what exactly they're meaning. Eyes tell a lot. They express a lot. And if they're just dark, you don't even know if they're looking at you or not. They could be looking, you know, bored over this way. 
which wouldn't be uncommon for me. Maybe that's why they're wearing their glasses. I don't know. You know, and of course, Billy's quite ignorant of all social media. He does text, I think, if it's short. Doesn't require much, which is fine with me. But you know, this social media business, there's all kinds of things left out in just conversations. One fellow meet another fellow, so how you doing? I'm fine. For details, read my blog. You know. Okay. All this texting, Facebook, email, all that kind of stuff. The printed word is bare of the essentials of communication. I want you to think about that. When you get all into it, you're reading what other people are writing and you're writing back to them. I want you to know, and you found this out. You've already stepped in a, how many potholes in this. You've already found out that it's really kind of a bare way of communicating. It doesn't. You see nothing of the body language, of what's been meant. Even if somebody's even got a sense of humor, you know. I've got a little sense of humor. I like to, if somebody texts me something, I, I kind of like to tease a little bit. Well, you know, they have no sense of humor at all. They don't get it, period. And sometimes, sometimes they're right insulted, and I guess they should be. So I kind of got to watch that, too. I always try to put that little smiley face on there or something. That LOL thing. The first time I ever saw that, it was from a guy. And I thought, he's saying lots of love. <laughs> and I still think about it when I see it. I think it would make a good one for lots of love. I understand it means laugh out loud. And I wonder, do people really laugh out loud that much? You don't, you know... I mean, I've, I've seen things that are humorous, but, you know, I probably don't laugh out loud. I'm like, <clears throat> that's good, you know, something like that. <laughs> well, that's a long way to getting around to the point that here's Pilate, and he's finally met Jesus eyeball to eyeball. And there are, when you think about this encounter, there are four questions here that I would, I, would ask, I would ask you, why did Pilate marvel at the silence of Jesus? Why did the crowd choose Barabbas instead of Jesus? Why did Pilate scourge Jesus? And why did the soldiers mock Jesus with such hatred and cruelty? So those four questions I want us to look at, and we're going to gain more from those questions, I think, than we think. The priests condemned Jesus entirely on religious reasons. That's really the only thing they were interested in. And that's really all they could just about accuse Jesus of. They needed something else to put before Pilate that would stick. Something that would warrant putting Jesus to death. And there were three things that could have happened. One is uh, it would have been a matter of just uh, arousing troublemakers in Palestine. Or forbidding the payment of taxes. And in both of those areas, Jesus could not be charged with either one of those things. Jesus instructed people to pay their taxes. And he also, uh, did, none of his disciples were what you call rabble-rousers. They didn't get in trouble. They weren't out there trying to start trouble for, for Rome or anything like that. The charge that they wanted to bring and that they thought would stick would be the charge that Jesus wanted to be king instead of Caesar. 
that Jesus was attempting to become a king. And so that was really the only thing that might have been a concern. And so the first question that Pilate asked is what? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you said it. You said it. John adds that Jesus also said, my kingship is not of this world. If so, my servants would fight. So he's taking the steam right out of the charge right there. My servants aren't fighting. They're not going to fight. And so it's clear to Pilate that Jesus, his kingship, was not a threat to Rome, would not be a threat to any kind of takeover that would be planned. And so the priest's accusations are falling apart at this point. And they begin to talk to Pilate about all these different other kind of accusations against Jesus. And it says in verse 10 that Pilate listens to this and it says he perceives that the priests are mostly motivated out of envy. That's what's really behind them. Jesus is becoming very popular and people are following Jesus. And it's sort of like, you know, he's got the new church in town and everybody's going over there. Don't be envious. If God's working somewhere, God bless them. Amen? And so, uh, and Jesus could have just said one little word to any of these charges that the priest brought. But Jesus stood absolutely silent when Pilate asked him, "What, what do you answer to these charges? And then it says that Pilate was amazed at his silence. He was astonished at his silence. Why was that? That was because Jesus could have at any point saved himself. He could have have refuted these accounts at every turn, and he could have literally saved himself if he had answered to these. And it's evident that Pilate is believing him to be innocent and that he's no threat to Rome, and and he was looking for some way to free Jesus. Something that would happen, but Jesus would not even cooperate in his own defense. He would give no grounds for Pilate to release him. And that silence basically exposed his accusers because it brought out all these things in their life that really would not have been exposed if Jesus had spoken to them. And Pilate clearly saw that it was jealousy that was operating in their hearts. It was, that was what was going on. And so Jesus, before the cross, knows he's going to the cross. It's part of the plan that he understands his life is for God. He is the Son of God. He understands his life is going to be given on the cross as a sacrifice for others. And so there is, in this case, he has set his face to the cross And the closer he gets to the cross, these sins and hypocrisies of people's heart uh, become more apparent. And the nearer we come to the cross, the nearer we come to the the real truth behind Jesus' coming, and that is the cross, the more we are aware also of our sin and our hypocrisies. Where we've opened the door of our heart to sin, it becomes more apparent when we come nearer to the message of the cross. Second question. Why did the crowd choose Barabbas over Jesus? 
verses 6 through 15. We read about it. Barabbas was a true criminal, uh, as these other men who were being crucified. According to Roman law, he was a hard-nosed, bloody-handed murderer. He was a liberation terrorist. That's what was going on in that spill. Going on in those lands, isn't it? That's what he was doing. He was committing terror in the hopes of somehow it becoming a liberation movement. And so the Romans knew him to be a murderer. So did the, so did the people. He was taking an approach that most of the people were not happy about at all. They did not want to bring the wrath of the Romans down on their heads by following somebody like Barabbas. Luke explains that his name, Barabbas, his name is also Jesus Barabbas. Can you believe that? The same name as Jesus. Jesus Barabbas, son of the father. Barabbas, son of the father. He was the son of the father of force, of killing. Jesus Christ on the other hand, also son of the Father of love, ready to sacrifice himself. There's the two choices that are before them. Why did they choose Barabbas? It has to be because they were disappointed in Jesus. You remember just a week prior to this is what's called what we call Palm Sunday, where Jesus has come into the come into the uh, city. And people are, there's great swells of people welcoming Jesus. They see him as not only the coming Messiah, but they see in their mind that he is going to be the king. He is going to be the one somehow. He's got, he's got the power, it's obvious that he does. He's got the power to redeem them from the hand of the Romans. And to lift them up as a people. And make them an independent nation again. Strong again. That was their hopes for Jesus. But as that week wore on, more and more and more, at every turn where that was an opportunity for Jesus to speak to or to do something about, Jesus turned it down. That was not his, that was not his mission. Uh, so in a way, as far as, many, as far as the people, the general population was concerned, he was a disappointment. He let them down. The hopes that they had put on Jesus, those earthly hopes that they had hoped to have of Jesus... He disappointed them. They chose the son of the father of force over the son of the father of love. And so they were disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed in God? I dare say we have. Have you ever been disappointed in Jesus when the expectations, the hopes that you placed on Him did not come to be as you had prayed that they would be? That you had hoped that would happen? They were angry with Jesus. He didn't act in the way we thought He would act. The old prophet long ago said this. He said, God's ways are not man's ways. God doesn't operate in the same solar system of human wisdom 
that we have to operate in. And so our best thoughts fall short of him. But he is a God of love. And he is a God who cares. And so they're disappointed. We can be just like that crowd. They decided they would follow another Jesus, Jesus Barabbas. They, they chose the other Jesus over Jesus, the Son of the Father of love. They picked him. And sometimes in our disappointment with Jesus, now listen to me, Christians. Sometimes in our disappointment with Jesus, we kind of give up on the Jesus of the Bible. And we start following some other kind of Jesus. Something that promises more than what we think Jesus has delivered on. This whole prosperity gospel thing that's sweeping the nation now. Not only this nation, but even more so in some third world nations. People look at America and they think, It's because of our faith that we have the prosperity we have and they're living in poverty and they think, well, if I just had faith, I'd have what they have. Really hurts the poor people. And so they're following a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying they don't seek to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. Some very fine Christian people. But if he disappoints them and you start following another brand of Jesus then watch out. That's what happened here. When we're disappointed with Jesus, there's always the temptation to follow another Jesus. The name might be the same, but it's worldly. It's not the Jesus revealed in the Scriptures. So I want to say this, you know, as we think about, you know, our disappointments. Sometimes we... we put somebody else in the place of being our person we're disappointed with. It might be a church member, somebody in the church. And we turn away from the church. And we go our own way. And we start trying to live away from the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, like it or not. Not perfect. Full of all kinds of issues. We all are, will foul up. You know? I'm talking to you and you got sunglasses on and I say something off one, you know. But don't turn your back on God's people because of some individual, your disappointment. Find, if it's not in this church, find your church. You get on in there and you worship, you put Jesus Christ before everything. Why did Pilate scourge Jesus? Why did he whip him and beat him? Verse 15. He asked the people, what shall I do with him? And they cried, crucify him. So there was no legal basis that Pilate had to execute Jesus. He sought one more thing that he could do to see if he could get Jesus out of this situation. And so he scourged Jesus. He beat him. He had the soldiers flog Jesus. That was not a common practice for those who were to be crucified. Why was that? Because crucifixion was to be an eye-opening experience. It was to take a freshly healthy person and watch them slowly be tortured to death and die. That was the cruelty of the cross. They didn't want to weaken somebody before they put them on the cross. 
And so it was unusual that they would beat them like this and scourge them. A Roman scourging was awful and bloody. Long leather cords were laced with bits of bone and metal and the, 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 the thongs would whip out around the prisoner and hook the flesh and pull out, flaying the skin and exposing the organs. It was literally, it made that person a bloody mess. Why did Pilate do this? And I think, I think it was an attempt to get some sympathy for Jesus. I think he thought that when this crowd saw the awfulness of this innocent man being ripped apart before them, here's one last attempt that he had, perhaps, that Jesus would not go to the cross. You ever watch the movie Braveheart? Men, you have. Women, I don't recommend it. Unless you're just tough-skinned. I know some of you women are tough-skinned. Go go for it. I see some of you looking at me now like, I've watched it. You know, I get it. But at the end of the movie, the hero, Braveheart, he's in a scene where he was to be hanged and stretched and then gouged. And it was awful. I mean, this is one of the, you know, really too, too bad to look at. So don't look at it. But it just ripped the poor man into pieces, but he's still alive. And so the crowd who had been calling for his death and lusting after his torture and and horrible death, the crowd is so astounded and so taken back by the ugliness of that scene that they cry out, mercy. In other words, go ahead and put him to death. Get him out of this misery that he's in. And I think Pilate is seeking to find the crowd turn and say mercy. Pilate, you see, was controlled by fear. He was afraid. He was afraid of this crowd. He was afraid of his superiors. He's trying to please every side. John says he's afraid of Jesus. It really makes him afraid. Jesus does. And so he's trying to get through this thing and see how the cross just exposes everything. See how his fears are just coming out. See what's happening to him as he's struggling with this. Everything is, is, that is hidden is coming out. It's coming out of the people. It's coming out of him, his disciples. Everybody has just been exposed by the cross. Why did these soldiers then, after this, act so cruelly toward Jesus? That's that's the question. Verses 16 through 20, you can read about it. That again is not typical. The things that they were doing to Jesus necessarily was not typical. Now they wouldn't be kind to a criminal that's about to be put on the cross, but they would be professional. And they would, most of the time, they would just do their job and get it done and And here they are indulging themselves in beyond the beatings now, just excessive kinds of cruelty. They're mocking Jesus. They're scoffing Him. They jam a crown of thorns down on His head. They put a reed in His hand and they bang Him on the head with that reed and they spit on Him. And then they cry out, Hell, King of the Jews! Why did they do this? How could they possibly be so angry at Jesus? These Roman soldiers. What was it in them that drove them to to treat Jesus this way? 
And the reason was they weren't so necessarily angry at Jesus. They were angry at the Jews. They were Roman soldiers in this land of the Jews. And the Jews opposed them. The Jews did everything they could to make them uncomfortable. And this literally is a racial hatred. This is a hatred of the whole race. And here is so-called who? The king of the Jews. And so they're in this land just doing their jobs, you know, trying to, trying to get through it. And they're being treated, you know, miserably by, these, by the Jewish people. And so they are just, it's because of bigotry and prejudice and this racial hatred that laid bare. They're no different than the KKK or some kind of angry racist mob. Happens in every country. And so on the cross, you see what's happening here at the cross? It's exposing hearts. It's letting out what's inside. It's showing what's in their heart. And now, what about Jesus? Pilate asked the question of the people, what shall I do with this man, Jesus? We've got choices about Jesus. We can consider him just a man, gifted perhaps, a teacher, a great teacher. But we can reject what he says about himself and reject what the testimony of the scriptures say about him. That is that he is the son of God. Or you can accept that. You can accept him. You can make your journey through life being one of seeking to obey his teachings and follow him as Lord of your life. And, and, and allow your heart to be placed in his, under his care. Pilate could have done that, but he was trying to please everybody. He had too many voices in his ears. Jesus' voice was very unique. He didn't threaten he didn't pressure. He didn't uh, try to conjole, conjole him. He just simply states the case very simply. Pilate thought he could avoid a decision. He climbed up on a fence. He sat down. By not choosing, he made a choice. And rather than ask for God's grace to cleanse his guilty heart, he asked for what? A bowl to wash his hands. His hands were clean, but not his heart. And so we are posed with that question. It may be a question of salvation, the simple call of the gospel to your heart. Repent of your sins and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. And you're going to live for him. You're going to live for as. He will be your Lord. You'll seek to follow Him. It might be a question of a Christian's discipleship. Will I trust Him? Will I obey Him? It may be a question of healing, inner healing of a bitterness, of a deep-set sin that's in our heart, or rebellion that's in our life. Will I trust Him to heal the scars of and clear my past? It's a very important question.
You ever watch Final Jeopardy? It runs down to the last question, right? It's all on the last question. If you can answer it right, you might go home with a ton of money. You answer it wrong, you might lose whatever ton of money you already have earned. One question. There's lots of times when the, there's important questions asked. Sometimes in a job interview, there's one question that's posed. The whole thing may hinge on that question. It's a pretty important question, isn't it? There are questions in public ceremonies. Do you promise to a lifelong commitment of marriage? How you answer that question is very important, isn't it? For your marriage. Do you promise to serve your country if called upon? Do you promise? There's all kinds of important questions. But here's a question. The question of Jesus. He's been tried. He's been sentenced. Next week we're going to look at the cross. The question is, what about Jesus for me? You bow with me. Father, thank you for your word. And we see in this story, God, there's a lot going on. Jesus says very little. But there's obviously a lot happening. And it's all headed toward the cross. It is the preaching of the cross, the teaching of the cross by which we can find the salvation of our souls and the free pardon of sin. So Lord, today we thank you we can, we shut this Bible and we get ready to go to another place. Maybe your Holy Spirit is speaking a very clear word to our heart. Do you need to hear it? Do you need to answer it? It might be that you can answer right in your seat and that'll be fine. The Lord's between you and the Lord. It's a very sacred, important thing. It might be there's a call. It's a very significant call to trust Christ as your Savior. And there's a, He's calling you to step out even before others and receive Christ as your Savior to recommit yourself in some significant way today. So, Lord, we thank you for your word and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing hymn number 134 as our closing hymn. And let's all stand together. And if the Lord so uh, moves on your heart, I'll be glad to pray with you here. The altar's open. Let's sing 134 as our closing hymn.